Hello, and welcome to this special episode 50 edition of the Low Key Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Justin's. Justin's creates a nut butter that's naturally delicious with flavors like honey, vanilla, maple, and my personal favorite, chocolate. And if you have a sweet tooth, go try their peanut butter cups, with co- which come in white chocolate and dark chocolate. So go to Justin's and get a tasty treat. Now, without further ado, Ian Weiss with Bean Smith Coffee Roasters. It's nice. It's easy. It's low-key. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Low Key Podcast. I'm here with Ian Weiss in Omaha, Nebraska with Bean Smith Coffee Roasters. How you doing, man? Good. How are you, Ben? Not too bad. Um, I'm drinking one of your coffees. It's a Burundi. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of describe um, what I'm drinking? Yeah, so, um, so this is going to be a coffee from Burundi. Um, we're working with... Uh, um, with crop to cup out of Brooklyn with that coffee, okay. so we're not working directly with them, but we're sourcing from those guys, um, and that's a coffee from the Bahuora uh, washing station. Okay. So it's a great coffee. We've um, our relationship with them has been great so far. They have a ton of transparency with their coffees, and that's what has um, really attracted us to to crop to cup. Okay. So that that particular coffee, what really stuck out with us is just like it's inherent sweetness. Uh, you get a lot of butterscotch on the finish, mm. a lot of green apple on the front. Um, but you know, I think it's the marriage, the, the quality of coffee that they're getting mixed with their transparency is what why we keep coming back and yeah. working with them. That's cool. Yeah. So so describe what crop uh, to cup is a little bit. Um, so they're they're a, they're an import company out of Brooklyn okay. and. Um, and they have a fairly small team right now, but their big focus is working directly with, uh, like, co-ops, with producers, um, and they're, you know, as far as um, they're working to help improve the quality that they're producing so they can, it's really more about, like, the economic sustainability side of it. Okay. Um, so that's definitely one of, something that we're passionate about. So we're, we really want to be able to support and work directly with importers like that. Okay, so so basically, is that is that where you guys basically import and source your coffee? Oh, that's one of the importers we're using. We're using Crop to Cup uh, Cafe Imports and um, Anthem out of Kansas City. Okay. Yeah. So, in a lot of these guys, you know, they're that's a lot of their their common goals, and so we're we're working to uh, source coffee from people that are sharing those same goals. That's awesome. So kind of, kind of tell us what kind of started your coffee journey um, and what made you fall in love with coffee? Sure. Um, me individually, or are you talking about Bean Smith? Um, both. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so, so mine, I, as like growing up, we, uh, I grew up in Lincoln and um, my brothers and I would always go over to a place called The Mill, which is... You know, okay. just like your typical coffee house, and uh, and they had the best porch hang. We'd just sit outside, smoking cigarettes, whatever. You know, talking. And, nice. Um, 
but coffee always had like this uh, this memory for me of just hanging with family, lots of conversation. You know, it was a great time to spend with people who you enjoyed being with, mm-hmm. and um, so that's always stuck with me. And I think that over time, I've always kind of had that appreciation for coffee, and it was mainly just that that sentimental value to it. Um, I moved to Los Angeles for a very brief moment um, okay. back in, what was that, 2011? And that was with, like my very first exposure to specialty coffee. And I remember having, just like sucking down this cup of black coffee that um, that had, you know, as the true to specialty coffee, just tons of like natural sweetness to it. Um, and that was my very first exposure to like good quality coffee. And so with most, like I feel like for most people you kind of get bitten with this your first cup, you're like, I didn't realize that coffee could be that good. Yeah. Um, so fast forward, I was there, you know, you start getting more integrated with specialty coffee. Uh, my wife and I ended up moving to uh, start a family in Houston. And um, there was a position that opened up for Allegro coffee. So at that time, I was never even in coffee. I just mm-hmm. was someone who really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, Allegro coffee is the sister coffee company of, of Whole Foods. And um, there was an, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they roast all the coffee for Whole Foods and they were actually its own entity in, in Boulder back in the 70s. And Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of like the first pioneers of like light roasted coffee. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of crazy to think about. But they had a position that was open for one of their cafes and uh, I knew that I loved coffee, right? So you're, yeah. my initial memory is like, oh, well, I like coffee. And, um, and I remember... Um, applying to that, I ended up getting that job, knowing absolutely nothing about coffee, and then you kind of get bitten with that bug of realizing, wow, this is there's so much to this from from farming to roasting to brewing, yeah. and um, that attracts like this whole new dynamic of there's just so much to learn about, but it's something that that you really enjoyed drinking, you know, you always have fond memories of. And the the concept that there's just so much more to learn about it. Yeah. So you kind of get bitten with this bug of you want to learn more, you want to you know constantly grow and develop. So I was with Allegro for um, let's see, here, I want to say four years, and I started as basically a supervisor and um, working with coffee at that basic level. Um, not knowing anything about it and just reading a ton of material. I think. I found a couple of Scott Rao books and started reading those, implementing that at the cafe. Who's Scott Rao? Scott Rao? Yeah. Um, do, do you know who Scott Rao is? No. Oh, okay, okay. Well, you should check his stuff out. Okay. Um, so Scott Rao, he was really the first... His importance is because he was one of the very first people who was writing material that you could find everything in one book. Okay. And it was really... The idea was that you to start looking at coffee more analytically mm-hmm. in the sense that like, you know, before I feel like a lot of his materials came out, there was, there's a ton of material released to the SEA, um, but nothing was in like one, one book. Yeah. And, um, and the thought that, you know, you should be really looking at coffee um, and how can you repeat this? And, you know, really thinking about grinding and thinking about measuring, measuring what you're doing so yeah. you can have this repeatability to it. I didn't understand any of the material when I first read it. You know, I had to read those books like four or five times, if not more. Yeah. And But you would read a little bit, try to implement it at the cafe. You would see that your quality would improve a little bit. 
and then you'd read some more. You know, something would go wrong, you'd troubleshoot it, read his books, read blogs. And uh, so a few years of going into that, you're slowly growing and improving what you're putting out, improving your knowledge a little bit on brewing. Um, so over a span of, of four to five years, I went from being a supervisor to becoming the manager and then eventually transitioned into um, a, a regional trainer for Allegro. So that was like opening up and overseeing cafes and their training material, um, their training programs, opening up new stores. Um, it was a really great opportunity. It's a killer company. Yeah. And they just provided so much opportunity to not only um, be able to travel, but to get a ton of experience and to be able to open up doors for going back to their home base in Denver and being able to cup coffee with green coffee buyers. They have some of the most seasoned coffee buyers in the industry and uh, super well-respected people. Um, so it was just an awesome opportunity to be able to, to, to take all of that coffee brewing side and, and knowledge from, from reading books like Scott Rayo's and reading blogs and then to start talking with green coffee buyers who give you this vast knowledge and experience from the farm level. And yeah. I think that that's where my passion really started to transition into was um, understanding that, like, okay, the brewing side seems to be like a million variables, but once you start diving into the farming side, yeah, um, it's just so fascinating. On um, it, there's a hundred more variables at play, and um, a lot of it is just more the human element. So, so, anyways, you you really start realizing that this this world of coffee is um, it's really expansive, and yeah. you know you can't just can't learn all about it and it just takes time and um, so I was with Allegro and going through that those roles um, learned a ton and realized that you know going through all this traveling and being a part of, of all these store openings I really wanted to be tied closer to to roasting and to start um, really learning more about like the sourcing side of things and yeah. at that time there wasn't any opportunity at Allegro um, so I felt like the best move would be to to potentially move somewhere where I maybe could have uh, a little bit more ex hands-on experience with it and um, I grew up in Lincoln in Nebraska and there actually happened to be um, I connected with the owner of Beansmith who's his name's Chris Smith okay and he ended up um, through him and I talking, he ended up kind of opening up a role for me where it could come in and help start directing their coffee program. And that's, you know, small business is interesting, just in the sense you wear so many hats. But it was a great opportunity for me to be able to, um, to be able to get hands-on experience with, with roasting and sourcing and to kind of like put your, your own thoughts and practices into a coffee program. So we moved to Omaha two years ago. Okay. And um, and started essentially running the, the coffee program for Beansmith. So fast forward two years and, and kind of where what you're a part of and what you're seeing right now is uh, just from a lot of failing, learning, uh, trying all new things, and constantly looking to improve. Um, so yeah, now we're now we're here, and it's just been it's been a great opportunity from both from Allegro and to, to coming here to being able to. Um, to be able to get the opportunity to, to try these things, to fail, learn from your mistakes, yeah. and then to constantly grow in that sense. Yeah, I think I think failure is a huge thing to to help you succeed in, in a weird way. Like oh, you need to fail before you succeed. 
Um, it's a, it sounds like you've had quite, you've been in specialty coffee mm-hmm. for, for a while. Um, what would you say are some of the changes you've seen in the industry? Um, you know, I think when I first came on, pour overs was a, was a huge deal. Um, and a lot of that, like, let me think. I, I feel like the transition's gone from this, like, meticulous crafting the perfect drink to people starting to think outside the, like, bigger scope on, like, okay, how can we create better batch brew that, you know, is going to put out the same type of quality that we would on a pour-over and being able to have more of that customer experience side than this, like, meticulous craft small batch. Um, I know that there's still some of those elements that still exist in the industry, but I think some of the, the guys are really... The, the, like the thought leaders in the coffee community are really starting to think more about the overall customer service experience yeah. and how can you how can you streamline quality um, and that customer service side of things so I think that um, you know a mixture of that and just more people starting to wanting to be a part of the sourcing side to source directly um, which is a cool concept but it's, it's really difficult to do yeah so I think that there's there's been some interesting transition um, it seems like going from like the small, the small batch, small pour over to more of, you know, how can you uh, really replicate and have more consistency, customer service experience married with quality. Yeah, because the pour over side, I mean, I think it's, a, it's an amazing thing. You know, I love pour overs, mm-hmm. um, but, um, but also you got to please the customers too and timing. It's a, it's a time consumption to do pour-overs, and when you're in a rush, there's, like, a lot of people, yeah. and doing those take time. Sure. You can't do a thousand at a time, or, like, a bunch at a time, but um, I've, I've heard from a couple other owners that they're they're switching over to batch brew, too, as well, and, uh, I mean, the quality's not bad, so. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, we, I, I just went to Monarch in Kansas City, and, um, so they're only serving battery. That's one of those examples. And I know that um, some cafes over in, in the West Coast, East Coast, they're switching over to strictly batch brew. I know that you can, uh, like our, for, for instance, so our focus here is we want to be able to replicate the same experience from batch brew to pour over. Yeah. Um, we're dialing everything in using refractometers, so we're always trying to hit, uh, like our brewing ratios, 1 to like 16.5. Yeah. And I want to hit a TDS of like 1.3. So I want the same concentration. Um, I want that same experience from batch brew to pour over. It should be seamless. Yeah. And the only, really the only element that's differentiating pour overs for us is going to be a, a, a couple additional coffee offerings. Um, but the quality should be identical. So when I was with Allegro and traveling around, um, every time I'd go to a cafe, the first thing I would get would be batch brew and espresso. And... To me, that would show that if a cafe has their batch brew dialed in, that they have enough attention to detail to spend the time to really, to really dial this in, because it should be just as good as a pour over. Um, and then their espresso is going to show that you know that they have this holistic view of being able to, and the attention to detail to not only knock out espresso well, but also to do batch brew. Yeah. To me, that was a good signifier of okay, these guys are serious about coffee. They are getting their entire program dialed in. Um, yeah, there's no reason filtered coffee is definitely the best way to have coffee. Yeah. And, it, you know, 
well-dialed-in bash brew should taste just as good as a pour-over. And I think that you can get more frequently a lot a lot more pour quality of a pour-over than you would batch brew, but um, I think the transition of the industry now is to, to really focus on, like, okay, well, we can make batch brew much better than anything else that you can get um, as far as pour-over offerings. So yeah. that's definitely one of our main focuses. That's awesome. For you, what, what do you think is is the reason or do you believe um, is why specialty coffee has become such a huge thing lately? Specialty coffee? Yeah. Um, I, you know... Or craft coffee. I mean, people have so many terms for it. Third wave. <laughs> yeah. I think that... Honestly, I want to I say it's a mixture of people slowly becoming more accustomed to better quality things so yeah you know you can always relate it to wine or food um it's a food product essentially we're consuming it and people eventually start realizing like oh wow this coffee is much much better yeah um, the experience is totally different than what you're going to get into a starbucks i think that you know not not just the millennial generation but you know it seems to be that people are are looking for more of of that experience where people know where they're getting their product from um, there's a lot more focus on the product itself the attention to detail the overall experience and I think that that's where that catch of of this third wave or it's transitioning away from the third wave I think the, the industry is continuously growing but yeah um, that focus on specialty coffee is it's a different experience you know it's mm-hmm. a far better product I think people are starting to realize that I mean it's always been happening in the in the coast it's yeah. been happening much longer um, in a lot of the, the larger cities, but it's starting to trickle in inward, um, especially with the internet. I mean, people are... And the other thing is there's this boomerang effect. So that, that effect is, is essentially someone grew up in Tulsa or someone grew up like me from Lincoln. I moved yeah. away. I gained my experience, um, you know, living in, in Los Angeles and Denver and then in Houston. And then you, you gain this experience. You want to start a family or you realize like, all right, I could either be a small drop in the hat, um, opening up a shop in LA, or I could go back home and and really bring back what I've learned along my way uh, back home and being able to start my own shop and be able to show people, you know, really what good quality is. Yeah. And, and that's that's really that boomerang effect. And it's not just in the coffee industry; it's all in, in a variety of industries. But I feel like that's also what's happening. It's like people from Tulsa who originally grew up there, moved away, gained their experience, and is bringing it back. Yeah. And you're starting to see more of these specialty shops pop up. Um, but it's, I mean, it's hard. I think transitioning from Allegro to small business, you wear so many hats in the small business. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it, it's one thing to be passionate about coffee and to know what you're doing, but to realize that you're also running a business. And so you have to have, you have to be business minded uh, at the same time. It's difficult. It's not, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's a, it's an interesting dynamic being in small business and, and especially industry. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I think it's it's definitely you're wearing so many hats, and people think of cert, like it, it's supposed to be a pretty picture of something else than what it's supposed to be. Totally. So, um, which actually gets me into my next question: What do you think for for you um, being in a roastery um, or or just the coffee industry? Or just in small business, what do you think is the biggest misconception? Um, misconception as in, like, people might not realize what's actually happening behind doors. Yeah. 
Like, because people, people dream about, like, owning a small business and then being, like, this beautiful thing that, yeah. that's so easy. Oh, totally. But, yeah. Well, I mean, a great example, literally Friday, you know, so a small business, let's say someone calls out sick, so I'm, I'm helping... I don't know, let's say clean the bathrooms. Like, literally clean the bathrooms and then called an importer to, to, to place a green coffee order. You know, ask him, like, what's coming down the line? Yeah. What do they currently have? Um, so you're wearing two different hats, but I think it, it also builds character with that said. So um, I, just, I just think that you, you know, the, the misconception that it might you might roll into a place, the grass is always greener. So, you know, you roll into a place, it looks super busy. Um, you know, you're putting on great quality. Um, but at the same time, it's like, that takes a lot of work to get there. And yeah. I, don't, I don't think people realize how much work it takes. And there's, should give small business owners a lot of respect because they're, I mean, you're working a ton to try to make, to make your business successful and how much thought is put into that. Um, it's, it's, it's insane. I've learned so much just being a part of the small business. You get spoiled being with a company like Allegro that's a, it's a phenomenal company, and they have such a great program, but you don't realize how much work it took to get there, you know, yeah. from the 70s to where they are now, like how much work over over that time period to be able to get where they are today, and then you come into a small business thinking, like, you're going to be Clint Eastwood kicking down the doors, and, like, everything's going to change overnight, Yeah. but you're dealing with, you know, demographics, you have to know, you have to have a great business sense, too, you have to have with that and then you have to be a great leader for your for your employees you know how are you going to encourage people to grow how are you going to keep people with you uh, and how are you going to uh, continue on product development think about uh, product development being like roasting coffee brewing sourcing um, maintain relationships you know balance the books yeah brew pour overs during a rush <laughs> I mean there's just so much stuff that goes into it that I don't think you would ever really I think that's a misconception. It's like, oh, wow, I would love to own a coffee shop. But yeah. the reality is your rent's $3,500 a month. You, you know, you pay your employees X dollars. How many employees do you need to staff this so you're not, like, tearing your hair out? And then how many, you know, how many drinks do you need to sell to make all that Dang. ends meet? Um, but it all boils down to, I think, being... You know, it's not for the faint of heart, and you should definitely have strategy in place. So, you know, you really need to spend that time off the floor to think about, like, who who are you? Like, what do you want this company to be? How are you going to stand out and amongst your competition? Um, how are you going to balance your time, your work-life balance? How are you going to yeah. be able to, you know, really think about those things? And, you know, quite honestly, like, I've, I've worked myself to the bone, and then you're like, okay, well, I can't continue like this. And you really have to step back and start problem solving because you can't yeah. continue on that on that path um, there's an interesting uh, there's something called tamper tantrum online and uh, and um, and Colin who's the owner of 3FE uh, up in Dublin he uh, he has a little blurb like a little and it's I think it's called like fuck cupping or something like that <laughs> and it's essentially it's him talking about being a business owner I mean and he was a world barista champion he yeah. owns 3FE, which is a phenomenal shop in Dublin. And um, he, he talks about it. He's like, I literally put myself in the hospital from just, like, working myself to the bone. He's like, it, will, it can drive you crazy. So it really brings that, hits home that point of, like, yeah, you can put out this great product, but you also need to be able to have um, 
to be able to time manage and you can't do everything. Yeah. This concept of being like of being like, well I'm I'm the, the master roaster, I'm the master barista, this is my business, I wear all the hats. Um, you are gonna wear a lot of hats, but you can't be the star of the show for every you need to be able to delegate, you need to be able to coach people, you need to be able to help develop staff to be able to take over roasting and to be the manager of the cafe. You know, you need to be thinking about that kind of I think people just see the rock star barista that owns a coffee shop and they're like, what a great life. But yeah. You know, it takes a lot of time to be able to do it well. Yeah, I mean if you're doing all those things it's gonna be exhausting. There's no way. You can't you're gonna fail. <laughs> What's gonna happen? It's it'll close down after a few years because you're gonna there's no way you can do that. It's just not possible. Yeah, and that's just not fun. <laughs> No, it's not. You end up really burning and losing that, that passion for coffee. Yeah. So it's really important to be able to have that understanding. Like, you can do it when you're a smaller scale operation, but you really have to be thinking, like, how are we going to continue to develop as a company and um, develop employees? And how are you going to retain these people? How are you going to influence your community? Um, you got to be thinking long term. I feel like that that's what we're constantly working on with our staff is bringing them in to think about you know, what, how are we going to be thought leaders within our community? How are we going to continue to develop staff and allow them to include ideas? Um, so that's a really important element to us. And that's just through, that's through failing, and it's so important to learn from your failures. Because yeah. I burned myself out, and you have to pick yourself back up and be like, all right, this isn't the right path. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So what, do you, what are some of your struggles that, that you deal with constantly or day-to-day and struggle with or and what are what are some um, differences you've, you've seen working in a grocery opposed to what you imagine it would be um, like a little roasting facility so like I think day-to-day is, is really just how do you um, it's all about in my opinion about time management and it's really easy there's always in any small business in any business there's always small there's always fires that are going on right so yeah. you you can. It's easy to spend your whole day fighting fires, and you know you'd be running errands and being all over the place. But that time management is really important, and to be able to prioritize and delegate. So, um, whether that's someone calling out sick at the cafe, you trying to fill in a shift, and then something needs to be picked up at the roastery, or you know. Um, so that just that being able to have staff that you can count on and delegate to is really important, but. I think working at a roastery is interesting um, in how you know you're, you spend so much time by yourself. You're essentially sitting next to a dryer and you're watching clothes dry, and in, a, in an unromantic inversion of it. But yeah. I think I think the reality of that is that you can you know you're sitting there roasting coffee for eight hours straight, and uh, you're sitting in a room and you're you know, there's no one to talk to essentially and you're, and you're roasting coffee all day. I think yeah. that that can be, for the wrong fit, that could be pretty mind-numbing. Um, so you definitely want to find the right fit as far as, like, people who are going to be in the roasting facility. Because you're in a production zone, you know. It's not as romantic as what you would see for someone brewing coffee and interacting with customers. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the biggest kind of, like, let's say culture shocks is going from that and the roasting side, you want to make sure you have the right people. Because I've, I've put people in place where they're like, yeah, I can't handle this. It's just too... You're, you're by yourself all day. And I think that, yeah. can, that can be tough for some people. Um, 
you know, and just the, the labor side of it. You're working with green coffee, you're, you're tearing open bags, picking up bags, you're bagging coffee, roasting, you know, in a hot environment. So yeah. it's definitely, it takes the right fit. People really have to, um, it's one of those elements you don't realize until you spend 40 hours a week in there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like roasting is, is kind of like a manufacturing job. It's almost like similar to a manufacturing job. I, I worked at a manufacturing job for a while, and it's just like a like a, a rhythm. You're constantly doing like same thing over mm-hmm. and over. And I feel like roasting is kind of the this similar rhythm that you have to pick up, and it's hard work. Um, and people like imagine it as being a beautiful thing, but it's it's actually harder than it seems. Yeah. It. I. I and I think it. It can be like I. I ended up jumping into roasting. Um, I literally taught my I taught myself how to roast a year ago and just jumped full swing into it. It's the same thing. You start um, start basically picking up any literature you can and you're reading as much as you can and you're implementing yeah. it. And you you roast something that tastes terrible and then you you have to figure out how to correct it. Um, I'm still fascinated by it, so I love being able to jump on a roaster. But yeah, you know. Um, it, it can be difficult for someone that is used to, like a barista who's used to being behind the bar and having that interaction with guests, to jumping back there. It is, you know, you're by yourself all day and you're literally pumping in batches. You're trying to replicate the exact same batch over and over again. And that's roasting, that's the big thing with roasting is, you know, you want to have the best quality, but you also need to replicate that. I think that replication is like, that's the hard part is how can you do the same thing over and over and over again? And that could be mind-numbing to some people. So a roaster is a very specific type of person. You know, yeah. they're very analytical. They should. Um, you're really looking to to never get tired of being of reproducing the exact same thing over and over again. It's kind of like Euro Dreams of Sushi. If you've ever seen that, you know, he's no. always trying to always trying to improve, but do the exact same thing over and over again. Mm. It's a pretty cool sushi documentary. If you you should check it I'll, out. I'll check it out. Yeah, you I should. watch. I watch. Uh, what's that food one? Uh, the table thing? Chef's table? Chef's that's table. killer. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah and that and that's that's a cool one. I, uh, my wife and I have been purging through that, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, similarities, I feel like, between what those chefs are doing on trying to continuously improve the product that they're dealing with. You know, they're yeah. going directly to the farm, and they're working with farmers to produce... Um, a certain varietal of tomato or a certain varietal of pepper that they can use and you know there's a lot of parallels with coffee and what what people are trying to do with coffee right now so it's pretty cool I mean it definitely it's cool to watch that and to kind of look at the industry and realize um, what we're we're doing very similar things not us not necessarily us specifically the industry in general yeah yeah that's cool yeah what what is um, for you How's your coffee different than than other coffees? And do you guys have like a personal different roasting style? Um, I mean, honestly, I, I, I would say that I don't know how to really say that we're like drastically different than anyone else. I mean, yeah. you know, you start, you go to specialty shop to specialty shop and you know, what really is differentiating people besides the, their, uh, their marketing and potentially, you know, you can tell when a roast is off, right? But especially industry is getting to a point where people are, you know, a good cup of coffee for specialty coffee is going to be really sweet, 
really well balanced, you know. I think you can tell when roasts are off or um, they don't really have their coffee dialed in when something's super, super acidic and it doesn't have that, like, sweetness characteristic to back it up. Yeah. Or, um, or, you know, it's, let's say it's roasty, right? So there's some, either that's intentionally or, um, or they might have, the roast might have been off a little bit. So with us, that focus is we're not, we broke away from roasting specifically for espresso. We really, just given our, our area, we wanted to showcase people that, you know, we're rotating through coffees all the time on the espresso machine. So I wanted to be able to take whatever coffee we have on lineup and be able to throw it in the espresso machine, batch brewer, do it as pour over, um, to really walk, to open up the dialogue for guests to say, hey, none of these are off limits. You can, all of these are available. Let's just look at the, let's look at the flavor or like, start talking about what type of flavor you're looking for in your coffee and we'll match that instead of being like here's our go-to espresso roast i think blends share an important role for consistency and offerings for a company but um so with that said i think you know right now what's going to stand us apart from our immediate market in omaha is we are lack for better term kind of like that omni roaster right and so our focus on that is that we should be able to, we're producing coffee that can be brewed on all platforms. And our focus for good coffee, like our ideal profile is that the sweetness of that coffee is um, in balance with the acidity of it. Mm. So we're not, we, you know, we're always making sure that that coffee is going to be perfectly balanced on all that side. So on the roasting side, um, you know, we're looking for zero roast defects. So that would be like scorching, um, so like that roast characteristic to the coffee. I don't want anything to be, we're making sure that things aren't underdeveloped so they're like grassy, you know, we're not looking for anything like that. Yeah. We're not anything super light roast like you'd get out of uh, um, uh, like the Nordic region, you know, like some of that, uh, those, guys, those guys are pushing. But phenomenal coffee, but I'd, I've had those coffees and I've tried that and I just don't feel like that's us. Mm. And so it's more of this, um, this balance. So I would say that it's going to be more of that that city, kind of okay. like um, City Plus, and um, which is kind of defined by, you know, you do have that pronounced acidity, but there's a lot of that like natural sweetness in the cup, just to the point where there's no roast characteristics to it. Um, so with that said, you know, I think what what how we are different than ever, anyone else is that we're we're focusing on having that intentional lineup where people can choose from anything and um, the roast degrees are approachable so you can brew them as espresso and filter, nothing's off limits. Wow, that's really, that's awesome. Um, how have you, because you, you, you touched on it earlier about being from Omaha and all these, all these different places and stuff. Um, or no, you're from Lincoln, that's what you said. Uh-huh. From Lincoln. Um, how have you seen kind of Either, either the Nebraska or just Omaha, the, the scene grow, either locally or just the coffee scene? Um, well, I definitely think that... So so right now, there's there's us, Archetype's another um, great shop. They, um, Isaiah's the owner over there, and he's, he's doing a really great job with his coffee program. There's Mug Life... Um, there is, there's Amateur that's popping up, Reboot Coffee Roasters is popping up. I might be missing someone else, but, so we would be considered like the third wave, right? 
Yeah. Um, and then there's some of these like second wave, kind of like typical coffee house styled shops. And now, so when Beansmith first started, they were the only ones. Like Beansmith was the only people serving and really trying to push quality product. Yeah. Um, and having more of that light roast, focus on quality. Um, and then, and then some, and so essentially Archetype came into town, right? And then they, so, and, and Isaiah's a phenomenal barista and he's putting out really good quality stuff. So now you have, there's a couple different roasters that are putting out that type of third wave style. Yeah. So more popping up. And now these kind of like coffee houses, you're seeing them, they, you know, if they haven't, if they're not interested and their customers are starting to realize that like, okay, there's some they realize that there's better quality product out there. Yeah. And I think that that has started to affect some of their traffic. Um, and it's not maliciously, I mean, we're not looking to, to steal business from, from from that type of demographic, but, yeah. um, but I don't know. I, I think it's interesting there's more and more of these third wave roasters popping up. I think it's because guys are, are really passionate about this type of coffee brewing and coffee roasting. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now you're starting to see some of these second wave shops like coffee houses starting to kind of like slowly slowly die off so i think it's just the natural progression of the industry um people are starting to become to realize that okay there's a lot of quality here and and they really like that and they don't you know they realize that once they go back to that it's hard like i mean once you have a good cup of coffee it's really hard to go back to like Folgers. you instantly know the difference um my brother's work who my brother actually helped us uh, with all of our branding um they, his company that he works for switched over to to using our coffee and okay. so it's like an office setting environment before that they were serving I don't know they're going to Costco and they were serving like Folgers right and everyone loved it and once they switched over to our coffee there was a lot of people like this is too strong or there's too much flavor in this yeah. and then over a period of time they started to drink more and more of it and realizing that okay so this isn't this isn't bad, so they started actually liking it. Yeah. And I think they ran out of coffee one day, and they some just ran to grab Folgers, and they were like, "This is terrible." And they realized, <laughs> you start, slowly start to realize like the difference and what sets specialty coffee apart from. I mean, obviously Folgers is commodity grade coffee. Yeah. These coffee houses are are buying lower grade quality of coffee. The roasting techniques might not be there, and so in comparison, you know, it's there's so much more flavor, so much more sweetness, so much more attention to detail, and especially coffee and. And the Omaha demographic slowly starting to realize that. That's cool. So long-winded answer, but I think that the transition's starting to become that people are realizing, like, okay, we have a lot more appreciation. This is really good stuff, and people can't go back to what they previously came from. Yeah. That's what's you know it's been happening in major cities much longer than here, but it's just now starting to happen here. So yeah. over the, la- the span of of what seven years, there's been that transition of more shops opening up because there's more of that need within our um, within our area and people are really starting to really come by and, and really you know really liking the product so yeah 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 I think that's interesting because like I remember I was a Starbucks guy like mm. for a long time and then I moved in with my roommate James um, and he uh, he just started shoving coffee down my throat no try this try this try this <laughs> yeah and then eventually, um, eventually, like at first, I hated it. Like I thought it was 
was gross, and I'm like, this doesn't taste any different and stuff. And I'm going to go back to my creamy stuff, but then eventually I just started drinking that, mm-hmm. and then um, and then I hated just yeah. the Starbucks coffee. So You know, we were doing um, free public cuppings every Friday uh, a few months ago, and... You know, just bringing people in. There's a lot of our regulars, but we're getting people from outside of our customer base. And um, it is interesting because you have something like an Ethiopian coffee, right? That's typically super fruited, um, floral, lighter bodied, more tea-like. Yeah. And that's usually like the last things that, that's, that's a coffee nerd's like go-to coffee. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the last thing you would think of as, let's say, a Starbucks customer base liking. But the reality is once you start, once you can get those people on, on a cupping table and you can start walking through the coffees and they're able to taste the coffee black, most people start liking, they're like, wow, this coffee, they realize how sweet black coffee can be. Yeah. And that's usually where that light bulb kicks off is where they're like, oh, okay, so this is really good quality coffee. Mm. Black coffee can be sweet. I don't have to douse it with sugar. Yeah. Or just the realization of like brewing coffee, t- interacting with customers, Allowing that coffee to sit, just telling them, like, let that coffee sit for just a second before you throw sugar in there. And they, they taste it, and they realize, like, wow, this is actually really good. Um, so I think that, that's what's really standing specialty coffee out from, um, from Starbucks. You know, it's a completely different demographic, in my opinion, but yeah. um, those are just some of, the, some of the touch points. I think that's really setting specialty coffee apart. Speaking of like flavor and stuff like that, is there any is there any flavor profiles you love or favor over others, and is there any region you personally love over others? Um, I think that's difficult. I mean, Africa in general is typically like my go-to. I mean, um, just in the sense that there's so many different flavors that are coming out of. Um, yeah different flavor possibilities that are coming out and then you focus on Ethiopia you know the birthplace of coffee and um, you know every village is producing a coffee that has a complete has a potential to be completely different than the next Um, you know what I prize in like my prize coffee is going to have acidity you know it's going to have like a nice acidity to it florality um, a well balanced like I like I typically like something it's almost like an oolong tea type of body to it. And so typically, you're, you know, obviously that's kind of narrowing me down to Ethiopia. Yeah. Um, Chef produces a ton of coffee that has like this classic uh, jasmine type of florality to it. Um, so I typically, you know, I, I always dig coffees that are coming out of Yurgischef. Um So it's hard to say. I mean, Africa, definitely. Ethiopia, definitely. Kenya is producing stellar coffee, obviously. Um, mm. But I would say Ethiopia is classic and uh, I'll always enjoy a cup Um, for us you know we're we're transitioning on some of the coffees that we're carrying Uh, our previous approach was you know we were focusing on we want to really show our customer base a seasonality of coffee okay so winter comes around and you have a lot of um, you're having the the southern hemispheres releasing coffee so you know South America um Burundi's hitting, we had a Tanzanian, you're getting some of the Pacific Rim regions producing coffee. Um, And we ended up, the idea was to source coffee long enough until the next cycle ran through. So once like June and July rolls around, then you're getting Northern Hemisphere coffees from Central America, Ethiopia, Kenya. Um, But going forward, what we're going to do is, so like this, 
this season that just hit, we're pulling in more coffee, variety of coffees from Ethiopia. So we would really want to showcase a variety of villages, washing stations, um, so people can taste all the different types of possible flavors that are coming out of these countries. Because yeah. um, that's stuff that we're really stoked on anyways. And to be able to um, to be able to show people how much different flavors in coffee is the exciting part. And so, yeah, I love Ethiopian coffees, but you know, you can get a ton of killer coffees from El Salvador and Guatemala. And it's fun to be able to serve a variety of coffees. So we're going to, um, that's our focus going forward, is just to have a variety of flavors from everywhere. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it is pretty cool. That's really awesome. How, um, it, yeah, I think, uh, what's up? Uh, <laughs> is there any, before you started Beansmith, is there any coffee roasters or coffee shops that inspired you or continually inspire you currently? Um, I wouldn't say that it's like one particular one. I think that there is, um, there's definitely figures in the coffee industry that um, I've always kept a pulse on. And um, uh, James Hoffman's one of them. He has a, a stellar blog. Uh, Matt Perger's another one. Um, you know, both of those guys are ex-World Barista champions. Uh, Tim Lindelbo's another one. I mean, these guys are like thought leaders within their community. Um, and, you know, just it's, it's interesting kind of putting a pulse on what they're doing because they're, they always seem to be, they're constantly focusing on the next thing and they're focusing on um, much larger picture things than what you would, like a small shop would essentially be doing. And um, so it's interesting reading their material because they really seem to be kind of like leading the crowd as far as like what's next, what should you be focusing on, what are they looking at. Yeah. Um, and not saying that you shouldn't have your own identity, but it's really interesting reading their material. Um, another one that... Uh, um, yeah, so I mean, uh, the guys out of Counterculture, I mean, that's a coffee company that I, I think is always producing phenomenal stuff and they're they're definitely the ones that are focusing on sustainability um, more the economic sustainability working with producers um, those guys are always putting out something awesome um, their focus on education and sustainability um, I think it's super super cool so that as a coffee company in general is something that I always look up to um, you know obviously you have, you have Hart that's yeah. a phenomenal shop love Hart um, so I would say like those are definitely the, the go-to um, just as far as like keeping a pulse on what they're doing and kind of tracking um, they're the not to overuse the term but they're definitely the thought leaders within especially industry in my personal opinion okay that's cool what, what advice would you give to someone that wants to start a coffee a roaster or coffee shop or small business um, I think that um, really strategizing on how, not just how you're going to be different, but understanding your demographic, what kind of product you're going to serve, how are you going to be different, mm-hmm. and, and how are you, you know, creating, like, who, who are you going to be, and then yeah. not, not veering away from that too much. You know, just standing true and keeping the integrity of who you're going to be. Um, I think that that, you know, I read that, I can't remember where, but it, 
some of those goals of just identifying your core values and making decisions based off of that yeah. is hugely important because it really helps narrow your focus on, okay, well, that's not who we are and why we shouldn't really pay attention to that so much or we shouldn't really worry about making it really helps streamline your decision making yeah um so i would definitely say creating core values and an identity of who you are and really focusing on making your business decisions based off of that Mm. Um, it really helps trim the fat off of your overall decision making as a business in general yeah yeah it's huge What's your favorite thing about Omaha, the city? Like, what do you love about the city? Um, it's continuously growing. I, you know, it's really cool to be a part of it right now. Um, there's so many neighborhoods that are, are going through change right now around yeah. downtown. You, know, you have Midtown, Blackstone, Little Italy, um, Little Bohemia, which is right next to Little Italy. Um, all of these areas that, you know, larger cities like like Houston, for instance, when, when we moved, um, a few years before we moved, neighborhoods just like these were, were going through this change, and, yeah. um, and they just blew up overnight. So it's really cool to, to kind of see that happening as yeah. we speak. Um, there's a ton of excitement within food and coffee and beer, um, so there's just tons of new stuff, stuff popping up all the time around Omaha. Awesome. I think that there's a really cool opportunity for Omaha to, to kind of shape its own identity, mm-hmm. and I hope that that focus is towards the um, like quality, of bringing the quality back to the people of Omaha. So yeah. focusing on like um, less of the commercial side, more of of people really being passionate about what they're doing, and, and focusing on the integrity and quality of the product. Rather, yeah. that's beer, coffee, food, um, and that's definitely what's happening right now. That's so really I think. Cool. Yeah, it's really, it's a cool time to be here right now. Yeah, I love when, like, cities like this, like, cause it, this, this reminds me a lot of, like, Tulsa and scenic row and stuff is really cool. Here. Yeah. That, it, that, it's, that it's coming to, like, have its growth and stuff, and it's growing more. You know, and they say that um, on the Midwest, it, I spoke of kind of that boomerang effect before, but that's happening in Omaha, it's happening in Des Moines, Iowa, it's happening yeah. in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it's happening in a lot of these central cities that people moved away from. So like people from Omaha moved to Chicago, right? Well, eventually you start, you want to have a family um, or, you know, something something hits where you're like, okay, I, it's not realistic for me to buy a house in, in the middle of Chicago. Yeah. Um, I could buy a house for a fraction of the price yeah. in Omaha. And, um, and there's interesting things that are happening. So there's a lot of that. People are coming back. And I think that you'll see this continued growth in smaller cities like Omaha, like Tulsa, like Des Moines. Um, people bringing in new interesting concepts and implementing them in the cities. So I think you'll see a lot more growth in areas like this, yeah. uh, which is exciting because, I, you know, it's well overdue. And um, it really brings a cool dynamic to the city. So Omaha's growing a ton. And it'll be really interesting to see what it's going to look like in five years, in ten years. So... That'll be an exciting time. Yeah, I think so. It's really cool. Now, this is this may be the most important question of the podcast. Do you like Star Wars? Um, I do, but I don't follow it all. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I was gonna ask, like, if you have a favorite Star Wars movie or character. Um, I don't. I I, I know, so lame. What, what what is your favorite movie of all time? Would you say? Um, that's a good question. 
I don't know. I, I haven't watched movies in a long time. I, uh-huh. not, not, not like, I don't follow like a specific movie. My wife and I have really been into like Netflix and, and HBO binging. So, oh, yeah, you know, I, I think you can't, you can't beat a, uh, a five season long movie, right? Yeah. So, um, we've been in the Game of Thrones like anyone else. Oh right? man, yeah, yeah. And, um, I've been loving that, man. We just finished Ozarks, which is, I thought was really good. I've heard a lot about that show. Yeah, yeah. it's actually really good. So I hope that they're coming out with the second season of that. Um, God, what else have we been watching? Um, we just finished something else. Um, you know, you have like Silicon Valley, which is hilarious. We like to balance it out with something super heavy like Game of Thrones. Yeah. And then round it off with something like comedic relief like Silicon Valley. So, yeah. you know, we'll like duel two seasons at once. Risky, I know, but... Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's usually our thing. We have, we're not, like, big movie watchers, but we love watching series. And Netflix yeah. is putting out so much good stuff that, you know, it's hard not to find something that, to like. Yeah. Um, Are yeah. you excited about the second season of Stranger Things? Have you, have you seen that? Yeah, I have. Stranger... This first season was really good. Um, yeah. They have phenomenal writers, and... Um, I'm interested to see what they're going to do with it. I don't know if they're going to completely change. Do you know? Are they going to change the, uh, like the whole thought on it? Are they going to continue with the story? Are they going to focus on something completely different? I, I'm not sure, but I think there may be more monsters and stuff. Or like it's about the monsters coming inside the people who are trying to attack the people. So Interesting. Or like them turning into the monsters. So yeah, I mean, I they, I've read a lot of articles. Too much that, too much for my time. The writing now is, it's, it's so crazy, I, just in the sense that they do such a good job of, like, keeping you um, always on the hook. You yeah. Know? Like, they, they do a great job of, of ending every episode, and you're like, fuck, all right, what's going to happen next? I've got to watch this next <laughs> one. Or it's so easy to watch, like, two or three episodes in a row. And that's where we get in trouble. We'll, like, start... Yeah. Put the kids down at nine. Start watching a, an episode. And be like, and you just like watch the countdown, and then the next episode starts. And you look at each other like, all right, I guess we're doing this. Yeah. And then the third episode, and you're like, like all right, we've got to shut this thing off. We've just binge watched three or four episodes of Stranger Things, and yeah. we're gonna have to wait till tomorrow. <laughs> otherwise, we're gonna watch the whole season. You know. Yeah. What What do you think? Um, what do you think? Who's? Yeah. Who do you think's gonna kill Cersei? That's That's my question. <laughs> Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, my, my, my thinking is Jamie will, or like it'll be Arya, and she'll have like the face of many faces. Be Jamie, and it'll be Jamie. You think so? Yeah. I called it when Jon Snow was brought back. I knew that that was going to happen. Yeah. Um, I don't know with that. I haven't even thought about it yet. Yeah. I, I know that uh, next season is supposedly their last season. Which is sad. That is sad. Yeah. But, but. There's a, but there's going to be a spinoff, so. You think so? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot you an email. Okay. Once I, like, <laughs> really have it planned out well. All right. Well, uh, thanks for being on the Loki podcast. Is Absolutely. there any way people can connect with you or see what um, you guys are doing or yeah, social um, mediums? Yeah, I think the best medium to keep track of us is going to be through Instagram. It's just Beansmith. Um coffee and then uh through facebook as well it's the same tag just bean smith coffee okay um we keep it updated frequently put out a lot of when we're putting out new products um yeah it's a great way to keep in touch okay cool cool thanks for being on and talking coffee and talking about your story thanks man it was a pleasure see you guys later 
Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Low Key Podcast. Want to thank Ian from Bean Smith Coffee Roasters for being on the Low Key Podcast. If you're ever in Omaha, Nebraska, go check out their shop and go get a cup of coffee. You won't regret it. Want to thank Ian also for sharing his story as well. Um, go check his social mediums. Go like them on Instagram and Facebook. Um, also, if you're a subscriber, go rate and review our podcast. It helps us out. And Also, if you're not a subscriber and you listen to this podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes and look, check out our website as well and all our social mediums, Facebook and Instagram, and see what we're doing. T-shirts, vlogs, who we're going to next, cool Instagram pictures. All right, guys. Well, that's it from low-key land. Keep it nice, keep it easy, keep it low-key.